Welcome to Failing Forward. Today we're going to hear from Zianti and Zainab from Chrysalis, a care affiliate based in Sri Lanka, about working with feminist movements and engaging men and boys and how we can do it better. Can you please introduce yourself for the audience? My name is Jayanti Kurutumpala and I currently work with Chrysalis in Sri Lanka. I am currently co-leading the global outcome on the life free from violence on behalf of the CARE International Secretariat together with Zainab. Hi, I'm Zainab Ibrahim and as Jay mentioned, I'm co-leading the global outcome on the life free from violence on behalf of CARE International and I work through a local organization called Chrysalis. Tell us a little bit about Chrysalis for people who haven't heard of it. So Chrysalis is a local social enterprise based in Colombo, Sri Lanka. It is also an affiliate partner of Care International. It celebrated its third birthday this year, earlier some months ago. Prior to Chrysalis being born, it was Care Sri Lanka in a sense. Care Sri Lanka closed down in 2016. There was a discussion about should this organization that's been in Sri Lanka since the 1960s, should it just shut down and everyone go home? Or should we try and look at how to continue the work with women and girls Care has been doing in Sri Lanka with support from Care USA? with Care International. Chrysalis was born with a seed grant. So they are independent, but also an affiliate member, a partner of Care International. Prior to working with Chrysalis, we both also worked with Care Sri Lanka. And five or six years ago, we joined an existing project on engaging men and boys. It was already underway. And a lot of what we're going to talk about today also draws from that experience with Care Sri Lanka. Why is it important for us to talk about failure? That's a great question. I think it's a really important part of learning, right? It helps us to learn from mistakes. It's not an easy thing, but it's such an important thing because it keeps helping us do work better. And it also pushes us to keep trying because we may not get it right in the first go or the second go, but we need to keep learning and keep tweaking and changing and keep trying and we get there eventually. And it's also a journey, right? All of this work, it comes from the best intention. You're trying to minimize harm and to understand that failure can happen, I think is a really huge first step. You understand that it can happen and then you learn from it. It's better than pretending that failure does not happen and then pretending that everything's okay or perfect or being done in the best possible way. Great. Talk a little bit about the context. This project that we were both working on or around 2013 and 14, it was really looking at trying to work with men and boys to prevent gender-based violence. The project itself was called Emerge, which is called Empowering Men to Engage and Redefine Gender Equality. That's the acronym, E-M-E-R-G-E. It really worked in different communities with people from the plantation. It worked across multiple communities in the country. It was a four-year project which was trying to primarily work with men and boys to prevent gender-based violence. What went wrong? There were a couple of things. One of the things that we saw throughout the course of the time that we were there working on the project was that there was a lot of resistance from local women's rights activists on the language and the terminology that was being used. Some of the questions that they raised were, if the work is about addressing unequal power structures and it's about fighting patriarchy, why are you calling it empowering men? There was a project initiative called Happy Families, which worked with married couples in relation to improving relationships between them in addressing violence and so on. But the feedback that we also got from a lot of activists were that it reinforced normative ideas of family. And it questioned whether the project allowed the space for women to leave this structure should they want to. Another thing that went wrong in a sense was that one of the initiatives that we were doing through this project was to work through male role models, which is a well-established method, of course, globally as well. In this process, 
there were male role models suggested by community leaders who were called male change agents. Their role was to make sure that promote gender equality and fight against stereotypes and prevent gender-based violence in the communities that they were. But what also happened was sometimes the way the work translates down, and I mean ideologically and translates in terms of language from a global level to a local to a national level to a community level, maybe some miscommunication that happens along the way. Because what happened was that we were having sort of a review meeting with uh, these male change agents from one particular location. And they were quite excited to tell us about something fantastic that they had done. So we were all eagerly listening. And it turned out that they were telling us about this incident where they all intervened and they were proud of. They were telling us that there was this woman in their community who was having an affair with a man who was not her husband. When this lover had visited her house, they had surrounded the house and stolen his bicycle. And that they put the couple back together and we were all horrified because this is moral policing. We were not out to create vigilante groups and that really defeats the purpose of why it were created. And so in that process, it actually reinstated power structures because the kind of training that they received was not strong enough or didn't emphasize enough on patriarchy or in how one needs to resist that. That's where it can go wrong. So we had to then really take a step back and think about how to proceed from that point. I mean, it didn't happen everywhere, but there were some examples like this. Then we had to bring it back to the question of engaging men and boys, but to what end? It's not just engaging men and boys for the sake of it or because of the project, but to really to challenge stereotypes to end gender-based violence. And another thing that happened, and it came out in the final evaluation as well, was that there were many behavioral changes that may have happened, like in very positive ways. So you had men or couples also talking about how men were doing more in terms of household work, in supporting their wives and so on. But I think one of the things that came up was that while there were behavioral changes, there may not have been many cognitive changes in terms of attitudes to gender equality. For example, in the initiative with the married couples, the entry point to talk about gender equality was to use household money management to bring couples together around this. And that was done because it was an easy selling point. It was a win-win solution for couples. But what ended up happening was that it did not necessarily lead to any real deep attitudinal change in terms of notions of gender equality, in terms of shifting ideas of power within that relationship. It's understood that there are strategic entry points to this work that are needed, but I think it runs the risk of becoming the main goal itself. And particularly when you use entry points like savings, livelihoods, budgeting, these are important, but they are sometimes valued more by communities than gender equality goals. It could then overtake the whole goal of the project. And that's something that we also learned. What did you do then to move past those experiences? What did you change so that you could improve? This whole exercise was actually a learning experience. What we really learned was that it was it's really critical for us as an INGO particularly to align with the broader goals of the women's movement in the community that we are working with, especially when we do work with men and boys. Because while we fully believe that this work is critical, we also understood that there are risks involved. The risks are of reinstating patriarchal power structures and norms if we're not careful. So one key lesson for us was that we needed to align our goals with the broader goals of the feminist and women's rights organizations in that community. And then we also learned that language and terminology also really matters because women's rights organizations have fought for rights-based terminology over decades, actually. And that it was important for us not to allow that to be rolled back in a sense, undo the work of women's rights organizations on the ground. For example, when we use a program called Happy Families, unintentionally we were creating more problems for women's rights organizations because we are sort of saying it's okay to say every family should be happy, a family must stay together, it's always happy, and that whole 
no feminists have been fighting against, given that there's so much violence in the family as well. Another thing we learned was that a term like happy families would also reinstate a heterosexual norm, which also then excludes single women. It excludes same-sex couples and also female-headed or women-headed households. So those are just some of the key learnings that we pulled out from this uh, entire exercise. I echo a lot of the points, and I think particularly the one on terminology, and it's something that we also are trying to keep in mind in the work that we're doing currently. But when we talk about rights to use, rights-based language, it's really important that we don't lose sight of that. All these discussions also happen at a very global level about engaging men and boys, the feminist ideologies the discourse around patriarchy, feminism. We would attend global conferences and seminars and we bring that knowledge back and discuss it at a national level. But sometimes when it trickles down to the grassroots level, it's actually quite difficult to sometimes translate like the term for gender in Sinhalese in our local language is includes three to four words just to explain gender. So it's not really easy to also actually literally translate these terms. Nevertheless, it was important to really do that because otherwise you can actually lose the plot in the process. So it's actually quite a challenge, but it was important to make sure that that ideology was translated in every sense of the way, all the way down as well. That's something that a lot of countries struggle with. A lot of these terms and the discussions and arguments around them happen in English. And then when they're trying to have a conversation with the community, there's no word for gender in many languages. Gender transformative is even more complicated. How did you work through that problem? Locally, there are some words that have currently been developed that have been used. I think the difficulty was as we use that. I think some of the difficulties in the way the concepts are also understood in the local language as well. And I think there was some amount of leaning on language and terminology that existed. One way to overcome that again is to make sure that the partners we work with actually also embrace feminist principles in their work and their mandate and their vision. Because I think we also found out that we were working with organizations that claim to be working on women's rights, but were actually headed by men who were not so <laughs> feminist, who also had patriarchal attitudes as well. So it's also in terms of what kind of partners do we work with is important. Because there are feminist organizations at the grassroots level, many of them, who are the ones who have created these terms and are working in order to make sure that this ideology of gender equality um, or this learning about gender equality and preventing gender-based violence is also happening. So I think that might be a lesson for us is that really selecting partners carefully. What are some of the things you did or some of the changes you're still making to programming and the way you approach it? I think definitely we are trying to be more consultative with women's rights organizations, with local activists, local movements, feminists, to listen, to bring them on board, to consult with, to see if there are ways to work in partnership. I think certainly that's been a much bigger focus now just so that we make sure that the work also has relevance that it can also be meaningful and it can add to work that's already ongoing rather than starting something new or starting something very short-lived try to find ways in which you can really support the priorities that have already been identified because very often they have already been identified they have been understood by local communities and movements and what they want is just a way to collaborate respectfully and effectively to do that work. In addition to all of that, to also support women's movements and feminist movements on the ground. That might also be that we actively encourage their leadership and listen to how a program should be designed from the get-go, you know, in terms of how it should be rolled out or designed and really support in ways that CARE can be a strong, powerful organization. 
whether it's financially or otherwise in terms of being able to stand in solidarity with local organizations because care is a, a powerful organization and a more mainstream organization it also has access to governments and spaces where feminists are also despised or not invited so that's the space where care can actually you know if there's resistance towards women's movements to step in and speak out on behalf of organizations and create a space for discussion one of the themes that comes out often in these podcasts is that we needed to do more local consultation or we did local consultation but we needed to pay more attention and we needed to swing that power dynamic so that we were changing some of the things we had assumed in order to meet what people needed locally. That's very challenging to do. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges in partnering differently and how we overcome them? It's really important that you come into conversation with any local partner with a genuine respect and to try to enter into that platform with an equal amount of give and take of listening, recognizing sometimes that just by default even as an INGO that you're occupying a really sometimes a quite powerful position and also willingness to be humble. in terms of listening to what's needed saying what possible and what ways are you able to support rather than sort of setting the agenda when those conversations happen with a very open mind and very respectfully i the conversation can be had and it often it's very possible and there are some conversations that both Jay and I engaged in current people from feminist funders and so on to sort of understand what they also have to say in ways we can partner better and that's going to also feed back into to care the thing that comes out often is that people are willing to have that conversation local groups and organizations it's all that they ask for is that it also be done with a willingness to listen and to be done respectfully and then it, it may be possible in many spaces to get on the same page maybe not all the time but sometimes drawing on from a conversation we had with professor a Charlotte Bunch who was a director of Center for Women Global Leadership CWGL at Rutgers University we were speaking to her as part of this work we are doing on having some conversations with feminists on partnerships and what can care do better and it's interesting because something she said was that in all the work they have also done as feminists one of the key principles that was followed was to ensure that feminist organizations take leadership so that's one way that we can actually try and change that power dynamic because we can go into this space as an INGO and imagine we are equal but actually we are not so equal because we have a lot of power way more than a local organization one way to change the power dynamic is to make sure that that we follow the leadership coming from the grounds coming back to the example around the emerge project if you had to do it all over again what would you do differently one thing that it would be really nice to do differently would be to go back and actually consult with more right group working in those areas and maybe find out if the suggested ways are working or whether that actually aligns with their priorities and needs what do they feel might be intersecting factors in that particular community that might affect the work just consult better right off the start and maybe to keep that conversation and consultation going throughout the course of the work is there a key priority action you would recommend to other people engaged in this work based on your experience designing the program together with feminists and women's rights organizations bring on more collaborative types of partnerships i think that's really important and really key also to partner with organizations that have been doing women's rights work on the ground for a long time in that area thank you so much for your time today thank you yeah. thanks for listening stay tuned for our next episode on cash transfers